Well, we're going to be in the book of Revelation this morning, and we're doing a series entitled, doing a series entitled, um, All Things Made New. Uh, All Things Made New. I've prayed long and hard about how we should approach the book, and I didn't want to just simply uh, uh, just come and, 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 and deal with it. There are many ways that you can do t- teach the book of Revelation, and I have uh, done it several ways. Um, I have taught the entire book, kind of walked through the contents in one sermon. Now, it's a very long sermon, about an hour and 15 minutes, uh, but it was a great way to get an overview of the book of Revelation. As I've been studying and seeing how others have done it, there are some who kind of tackled a chapter at a time. Uh, there are others who uh, kind of, you know, walked through it and, and even an extended session and things along those lines. And uh, many, many, even as many as 60 uh, messages through the book of Revelation. And I've tried to consider who we are as a church and, and, and kind of how we want to do this. And what I've decided is, is if we're going to study the book of, of the Revelation... Then, then let's study the book of Revelation and let's just let the Lord lead us through this book. So we're not going to be in a hurry. Uh, we don't have anywhere to go. Um, we, uh, it's going to be a great opportunity. Many of you are doing uh, daily Bible readings and reading devotions and things along those lines. And of course, we still have our Bible study on Wednesday uh, nights as well, which will be at different places in the Bible and, and different series. But what we're going to do is we're going to just walk through the book of the Revelation. If we don't get finished because Jesus comes back, that'll be okay, right? It won't matter. It won't matter. So there will be perhaps some time uh, this year that we'll take a break and maybe do other things uh, if we need to, maybe break at a section. But for the most part, what I've decided to do is to just walk through and to get us as familiar with this book as we possibly can and to take our time and to study it and to really hopefully ring out its truths, uh, hopefully um, uh, really seriously lift up the Lord Jesus Christ, the person, the work, and the return of Christ. And um, there'll be some things in here that really challenge you and there'll be some things that are really, really inspiring uh, to you. One of the things that I don't want to do is I don't want to take a merely academic approach. I recognize that we are in a, um, a local church and church plant setting and not a seminary class. Uh, but at the same time, I also recognize that the people that the Lord has brought here with us today are people that, that love God's Word and people that want to really study and want to know God's Word. And so we're going to, uh, on some times such as today, it may seem a little more uh, academic rather than proclamation or preaching, uh, but at the same time, it's laying the foundation for where we're going to go. And so what I've decided to do is, is today is kind of give us kind of a broad overview of the book of Revelation and help us to see the three sections that it's broken down and just to pull some things out uh, of it. And then, the next several weeks, we're going to do um, sort of a theological overview. A theological overview is where we kind of see the components and the parts, not only what they are, but why God, um, uh, but hopefully why God's doing things the way that He's doing them, and, and not only know the what, but, but the why. 
Now, when I say the why, I'm not saying that we're going to understand why God does what God does. If you know God, you know it's impossible to do that. But as we see things that unfold, remember, four out of five verses in the book of Revelation are a direct quote, an allusion, or a reference to a verse or passage or, or illustration in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament. So where we need to... We're going to pause and break before we run ahead in the book of Revelation and study the foundation in the Old Testament so that it can come in and it can weigh in and help us to understand uh, what's taking place. So when we walk through Revelation, the idea is we want to study this book, but we want to study it in a way that's, that will help us to understand the book and therefore, we need to bring other passages of Scripture and other things into play uh, as we study. As we study. So, uh, to begin with, uh, what I want to do is, first of all, if you turn to the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, I, I want to start uh, with a couple of uh, observations. Uh, last week, we sort of did a run-up to the book of Revelation and just touched on it. Um, but I want to, I want to begin to kind of look in the book of Revelation today and, and understand the layout and the format and some things that we can expect to happen. Uh, first of all, I want to mention, just like we said before, that the quickest way to make your pastor's blood pressure rise and make the hair stand up on the back of his neck is to call it Revelations, plural. It is not Revelations. It is the book of Revelation or the Revelation. My particular Bible call is entitled the Revelation to John. But if you notice in verse 1, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. So let's be clear. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And where did it come from? Look in verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his to his bondservants. So God the Father gave the revelation, and we'll see this when we, when we tackle this first verse in the coming weeks, to Jesus Christ. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ, singular revelation of Christ that He gives to John. To John. So it's not John's revelation, it's Jesus' revelation. It's not the revelation about John. It's about the revelation of Jesus Christ. Singular revelation. Singular revelation. And it's given to John. And um, who is John? John is um, the beloved disciple of Jesus. Also the apostle who wrote the gospel of John. He also wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of Revelation. So John, when Jesus called his disciples was the youngest, and he outlived the others. So by the time we get to the book of Revelation, all the other apostles of the twelve apostles have, have died. They've entered into their reward. Only John is alive. Only John is alive. Tertullian, the early church father tells us that John was arrested for proclaiming and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ by the Romans and that he was placed in boiling water in a Colosseum or boiling oil. Uh, and that was supposed to have killed him and been his, his, his death. 
but miraculously he survived it. And so when they couldn't kill him, according to the early church father, Tertullian, John was 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 put in oil when he miraculously survived that they took him and placed him on the island of on the isle of patmos and there he remained just about for the rest of his life um he did ultimately perhaps leave patmos and went back to ephesus where he died but he is the uh only apostle who did not suffer um, a martyr's death. A martyr's death. Not because, not from lack of effort. They tried, but he uh, survived. So some say that he was old. He was um, in uh, hard labor on the Isle of Patmos. Uh, others say that when he got to the point that he just couldn't work and fulfill and do the labor, that they uh, released him to Ephesus to uh, to die. So John is there on the Isle of Patmos, and he receives a vision. We're going to see this. He was caught up in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and so God comes to him. It's important that you understand that that John didn't say, Hey, I think I will write what I want, what I think is going to happen. This is not, the book of Revelation is not John's opinion. The book of Revelation is not John's idea. This is not John being parched and, and weary from, from hard labor and, and sitting down to, to write what he wish or what he hopes happens for God to set the record straight and to write those who have done him wrong. That is not the intent of, of this at all. This vision, this revelation came from God to John. John is supposed to write the things that he sees, write the things that that are, and write the things that are going to come. And we're going to see that uh, in just a few moments. So these are not John's ideas. These are God's truths that are presented to John. Some are going to be easier to understand. Others are going to be more difficult to understand. It's, It's apocalyptic writing or apocalypse which means it's prophecy, it's prophetic, and things along those lines. And so some of it is hard to understand, and quite frankly, some of it is impossible for us to understand at this particular juncture, in this particular point in time. But, but we ought to understand the book of Revelation to the best of our ability. We ought to study it. We ought to be preparing our hearts for that which is going to come. And I believe that this is not just simply information that we need to know, but information plus application leads to transformation. So I just want to remind you briefly um, that we're not just simply studying this so that we will have knowledge and we'll be able to go around and espouse our biblical knowledge. But what we want to do is, is we want to have confidence in the Word of God. We want to be able to study and to know God's Word, but we also desperately want our lives to be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in 1 John chapter 3, just listen to this word, and let's, let me be reminded. Let me remind you of this truth. 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared as yet what we will be. 
we know that when He, Jesus, appears, so when He appears, when He returns, we know that we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. And verse 3 says, And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself as He Himself is pure. So I want you to understand that part of my hope for me and for you through the study of Revelation is when we get a clear grasp and sense and begin to live with the urgency that Christ could return at any point in time, that these events can unfold at any point in time, hopefully it will lead us to purify ourselves, even as He Himself is pure, to pursue holiness and sanctification and to set aside the things in this world that so weigh us down. So I don't want you to think in any way that we're simply sharing information. I believe that true transformation can come through the study of the book of Revelation. If you want to have a broad uh, outline of the book of Revelation, there are different ways that you can look at it. Um, One through chapters 1 through 5 or before... The uh, tribulation period, chapter 6 through 18, is the time of the tribulation where God's wrath is poured upon the earth. And then Revelation 19 through 22 is after the tribulation and the return of Christ and all the things that take place in heaven uh, in the future after the tribulation. But there's another way that we can and that we should look at it. Because the Bible itself gives us an outline. It gives us an outline for the book of the Revelation. And this is what we're going to kind of put our focus on today is Revelation chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 19. And don't worry, we're going to come back and unpack chapter 1. We're just kind of getting an introduction to the book uh, today. Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, the Bible says this, Therefore, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after these things. Okay? So here is God uh, uh, speaking to John and telling John to write down these things. In other words, these things are not John's opinions. These things are not John's idea. John didn't say, hey, great, I think I'll, I'll write these things down. Now, the interesting part is, is, is there was someone else in the New Testament who was called up to the third heaven. You remember who that was? The Apostle Paul, right? The Apostle Paul was called up to the third heaven. And he was told, do not write that which you have seen. So Paul was not able to take the things which he saw and share it with others. What Paul saw in his vision of heaven when he was called up to the third heavens is not recorded in the Bible because God said, don't write these things. And gave him a thorn in the flesh to, to humble him. Because after all, once you see all of the things that you see, it would be really easy to become proud and boastful and, and puffed up. He had a thorn in the flesh to keep him, keep him humble. But I do wonder, when he was traveling with Timothy and they were sitting around the fireside at night, did he share, could he share in that setting the things that's there? All I know is, is that God said, don't write these things when the Apostle Paul went up there. But now to John, here in the book of Revelation, he says, write these things. 
write these things. So, what we have in front of us is a in the book of Revelation is a threefold division. And the threefold division goes like this. He says in verse 19, Therefore, write the things which you have seen. So John sees the glorified Lord Jesus Christ and he describes those. And that would be basically from chapter 1. Chapter 1 through 8 is kind of an an introduction to the book of Revelation. Verse 9 through 20 are the things that John has seen. Those are the things that he has seen. And so when we come back and we look at that, that's kind of going to be the, the first section. John is to write the things which he has seen in the vision. But now notice the next fold. The next fold. What it says is, it says, the things which you have seen, and secondly, the things which are. Well, what are the things which are in John's time? In John's time. What he's referring to is he's referring to chapters 2 and 3, and it's called the letters to the seven churches. The letters to the seven churches. And so when we take a look at the book of Revelation, I want you to see this, and I want you to understand, when it comes to the things that are, these are the things that John could look around and see that were taking place and going on, particularly as it relates to the church or the church age, the church age. And so I want to, I want to show you this. Look at Revelation chapter 2. In chapter 2, you see these words, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write. To the angel of the church in Ephesus. Now, depending on your translation, some translations say messenger and some say angel. What I know is, is, is in, in, as I understand this, the same word as the word angelos in the Greek. It can be translated angel or it can be translated messenger. messenger. I believe that these letters were given to messengers, human messengers of the churches, and not angelic angels. And, and we'll talk about that when we, when we get there, when we get there. And part of the reason is, is because the letters call these angels to repent. And um, certainly there would be no reason for an angel to, uh, to repent. But I want you to just see this. I want you to see the pattern. Chapter 2, verse 1, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write... And then go over to verse 8, chapter 2, verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write. And then look in verse 12, to the angel of the church in Pergamum. And then verse 18, chapter 2, verse 18, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, to the angel of the church in Sardis, write. In chapter 7, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write. Chapter 3, verse 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write. So you can see uh, all these letters, there are seven letters written to these churches. And these are letters of the Lord Jesus Christ to individual specific churches. Now, it's pretty easy to memorize the seven churches if you, if you wanted to. Um, if you just kind of look at this, you have Ephesus, E, S, Smyrna, P, Pergamum, T, Thyatira, S, Sardis, P, Philadelphia, and L, Laodicea. Laodicea. So if you just remember, every, every for Ephesus, every... Smiling for Smyrna, person for Pergamum, 
for that, S for Sings, for Sardis, P for Philadelphia, Praise, and L for Laodicea. If you remember, every smiling person that sings prays loudly, then you can memorize all seven, all seven mnemonics, right? To help us to remember, all right? Every smiling person, every smiling person that sings prays loudly, prays loudly. Then, then you know the seven letters that were there. If you look at these letters and you were to put these letters on a map, it's interesting that they would be along the route of a that a mail carrier would go. That a mail carrier would go. So, <clears throat> if you look on a map, you would see Patmos on an island. It's connected to the land, and there, along the along the map, along the way, are those churches just to the route that a particular uh, mail courier would would go. But I want you to see this as well. So these are individual letters written to individual churches. And you may say, well, that's fine and all, but what does that have to do with me? It, did Jesus write a letter to the church uh, in Burlington, Doxa? Well, yes, He did. In fact, in one sense, the whole Bible is God's letter to us, right? To all believers. But I want you to understand this as well. Did you notice the number of times the word church is, is mentioned? Chapter 2, verse 1, to the church of Ephesus. At the start of every letter, it's clear. It's written to the church, to the church, to the church. But what they would do with this letter is, is they would take this letter and they would deliver it to the church and that church would read the letter that was given to them. And just like all the letters of the New Testament, they would be passed along from church to church to church so that everyone could read and everyone could benefit from. So although these letters were written to specific churches, it is clear in each and every letter that it was meant to be not only not only in given to the context of that particular local church but it was a letter for all of the churches in fact let me show you this let me show you this in chapter 2 verse 1 you have to the angel of the church in Ephesus right but now go down to verse 7 in verse 7 he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to what you in chapter 2 verse 7 to the, what the Spirit says to the churches. Does that make sense? So, it is clearly a letter from Jesus Christ written to that church, but as that letter was circulated to the other churches, as the Spirit of God works and moves, He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Plural. And guess what churches, plural, includes? Doxa Church. It includes us. The things that are there are in a specific context. And as we walk through these, <coughs> we are going to see that God made application. Jesus made application in those specific churches, in those specific locations. And at the same time, the truths that He gave them are truths that should be applied to each and every one of us. Not only is that to the church uh, at, um, at Ephesus in chapter 2, verse 7, but look at chapter 2, verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The churches. 
um, chapter, chapter 2, verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Church chapter 2, verse 29. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In chapter, chapter 3, verse 6. He who has an, he has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Chapter 3, verse 13. What the Spirit says to the churches. Chapter 3, verse 22, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, so let's be clear that these letters are written to specific churches in a specific location, but they're also written to us and for us so that we can be blessed, so that we can be warned, we can be encouraged, and we can be inspired by these letters as well as they are read to the churches. Now there are some people, whatever they see these letters, they have said that these letters were um, <clears throat> are meant to represent <coughs> excuse me, the 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 whole uh, history of the church. And so there are some people who say that the early church was in the Ephesus stage and then they were in the next stage. They were um, not uh, in the um, Pergamon or the Smyrna stage and then the Pergamon stage. And they try to say that it goes one his section of history, another section of history, another section of history, and they try to put the church today in a particular history setting in a particular history setting. However, the thing is, is all the letters were written to the individual churches. They were written to the churches and the letters were distributed uh, at the same time. I believe there are churches that are representative of all these seven churches in every church age, not just that the church is characterized by this, this letter and then the church is characterized by this letter, but there are there. it's a warning that there are churches in every generation that need to hear these letters and need to repent and respond to what they're saying. So when we see in chapter 1, verse 19, where he says, write the things that are, those would be the letters, uh, chapter 2 and chapter 3, to the churches. One other thing I want to point out is from chapter 3, verse 22, where you have what the Spirit says to the church is, that is the last time the church is mentioned throughout the rest of the book until you get to chapter 2. So in other words, when you get to chapter 4, 5, 6 through 18, 19, 20, and 21, the, the word church, the church is not mentioned Again, it's not mentioned again. All the way, and so if, if 322 is the last mention, the second last mention of the church, you might be asking, where's the last mention of the church in Revelation? So go to Revelation chapter 22. I want you to see this. Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. Jesus said this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. You see that? That's the last mention. So, when you get to chapter 3, verse 22, all the way through the period of the tribulation and all the things that, that take place in heaven before that, there, there's no mention of the church whatsoever. There's no mention of what's going to happen to the church during the tribulation because I believe the church isn't going to be in the tribulation. 
There's others that do believe, and there's reasons they believe, but I think the Bible is pretty clear that the church will not be in the tribulation. There's some who say, well, just because it doesn't say church in Revelation 6 through 18 doesn't necessarily mean that the church is not going to be in the tribulation because that's an argument from silence. And I understand that, but I think even as we have seen in the past and as we see when we get to Revelation chapter 6, when it comes to the purpose of the tribulation, we can clearly see in the Old Testament that God has a purpose of the tribulation for the Jews. We can clearly see that God has a purpose for the Gentiles in the tribulation. But nowhere does it say that God has a purpose for His church during the tribulation period. And we'll unpack and uncover those things when we get there. But if it's an argument from silence, as my professor, Dr. Greg Harris, said, it's an argument from silence that screams loudly um, that the church is not mentioned there uh, in those. So not only was John told to write the things which are, and not only the things which you see and the things which are, but I want you to see also chapter 1, verse 19, he was supposed to write, and the things which will take place after these things okay after these things the reason that's important is because i want you to notice chapter 4 verse 1 chapter 4 verse 1 after the letter to the to the seven churches chapter 4 verse 1 he says after these things i looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking to me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place when? <laughs> After these things. After these things. And so there's a clear shift from the end of chapter 2 to chapter, end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4. Not one time, but two times. The things that shall take place hereafter. Or the things that shall take place after these things. So when he says, write these things that will take place after these things, two times in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, after these things and after these things. So clearly what John is to write are the things that take place from chapter 4 all the way through chapter 22 in the third section of the book of the revelation. So if you want to look at it, you can see simply this. You can see simply this. John is is writing this, but he's not writing it out of his own thoughts. He's writing it because God revealed these things to him and God gave these things to him and God specifically told him to write these things down. I want to remind you that we also have seen last week in chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things that are written in it, for the time is near. I want to close with a couple of thoughts. God clearly said, John, write these things down. And God clearly said, you're blessed if you read them, but you're also blessed if you heed them. And he goes on to put these things in the context of the history of time. And notice what he says. He says, for the time is near. The time for what? 
the time for all the things that we're going to read about and study about God's pouring out His wrath. All of the things that are going to take place and all the things that we're going to see. The time is near for those events to unfold. The time is near for the Lord Jesus Christ to return in all of His glory. I hope that as we read these things and we study the second coming of Christ, that we will be anticipating as clearly in the second coming with the particular minute details of the prophecies that we saw in the first coming. For the Bible was very specific and the Bible was very clear about Christ's first coming. And beloved, it is even more specific and more clear as it relates to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So why should we study the book of Revelation? Well, we should study the book of Revelation because it is... Uh, a lot of information. It tells us who God is. It shows the sovereignty of God. It shows the sovereignty of God in every detail and shows that God is in absolute control of everything that He does. Even when God pours out His wrath, you're going to see that when God pours out His wrath, He pours out His wrath in limited measure until a certain point. And then He pours out His wrath in full measure. You're going to see that God is absolutely in control and sovereign and in charge of every detail along the timeline of the return of Christ. And hopefully your vision and understanding and capacity to know and to believe and to trust God will grow through the study of this book. But beloved, there are indeed great warnings, great, great warnings that are found in the book of Revelation as well. And what I hope is as we see those warnings that we will examine our lives in light of those warnings. When we see the things that happen to people who are not saved, who do not know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, I hope that you again will be reminded, just like we saw Wednesday night in our small group, that people who are lost will be eternally separated from God and they will experience the full wrath of God poured out upon them. And beloved, listen to me. You do not want your worst enemy, the person that you dislike the most, the person that you would add the word hate to. You do not want your worst enemy to go to hell and experience the full wrath of God. And as we see these things, I hope that He ignites within us a passion for lost people like never before that will cause us to overcome overcome the things that keep our mouth closed from boldly proclaiming the truth of the gospel. But I hope also that you will be undergirded and equipped in the days ahead that when you become spiritually defeated when you become spiritually depressed, when you go through those times of darkness and adversity, that you will find comfort and inspiration in the promises of God that are found in the book of the Revelation. For example, when we get there, and I can't wait till we get there, uh, chapter 2, verse 7 There are promises galore in chapters 2 and 3 about the one who overcomes. Chapter 2, verse 7, to him who overcomes, there's a promise. Chapter 2, verse 11, he who overcomes, there's a promise. Chapter 2, verse 17, to him who overcomes, to him I will give, and there is a promise. 
And you can go all the way through chapter 3, verse 5. He who overcomes, and there is a promise. And so as you walk through here, chapter 3, verse 12, he who overcomes, then there is a promise. In chapter 3, verse 21, he who overcomes, there are great, great promises of God that you need to know and be, and understand. And though you may have never thought that you would ever turn to the book of Revelation to find inspiration and help and hope in a time of desperate need, as we study these things, I pray this will be a book that you return to often to be encouraged and to be strengthened in your walk with God. So what have we covered today? We've simply covered the broad outline of the book of the Revelation. Uh, Chapter 1, 1 through 8, is an introductory section. Chapter 1, 9 through 20, is John writing the things which he has seen. Chapter 2 and chapter 3, writing the things which are, as it relates to the churches and the churches, yes, even in our generation today. And then he was to write the things which will come after these things, that will come hereafter, chapter 4 through the end of the book. And hopefully you will also remember that every smiling person that sings prays loudly and remember the name of the letters to the, the seven churches. Beloved, I hope this will be an inspiring and encouraging study of God's Word. I hope that you'll take notes. My plans are to put notes online and have them available as well so that we can go back to and be reminded of. I'd also invite you to invite others to come and be a part of this study or to follow along online. We don't want to simply do this for our own edification, but we want to do this to edify others who are in the church Uh, and even outside uh, the church uh, as well. And I'll be sharing more information about that in the days ahead. So let's close our time in God's Word together uh, in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful, Lord, for the study of Your Word. And Lord, here at Doxa Church, it is our desire that we will love Jesus and that we will learn the Bible and that we will live on mission. Father, I pray that studying the book of Revelation will help us to love Jesus more and to help to love ourselves and others more, but specifically to love Jesus more. Father, I pray as we study the book of Revelation that you will help us to learn the Bible, for it is your word, inerrant and inspired, full authority in every minute detail. And Father, I pray that what we learn And how our lives are changed will lead us to live on mission. To carry the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. So Father, would you teach us? Would you instruct us in your word? And would you transform our lives to be transformed and to look more like the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ? And Father, I pray, I pray, Lord, that if there's any person under the sound of my voice who does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, that, Father, that you would prick their heart, that they would come to see their lostness and their need for the gospel. And, Father, they will reach out and they will uh, ask questions and that you would save them, that they would repent of their sins and believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and be with you for all of eternity. Thank you, Lord, for John's testimony. And thank you, Lord, for John's faithfulness all the way to the end. May we ourselves, no matter what we endure, may we remain faithful by your grace and by your strength. 
and by your mercy. Lord, we love you and we give our lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.